Good evening. I want to thank you for being with us today on our last Wednesday night podcast. Um, beginning next Wednesday, uh, we will begin resuming our Wednesday night services here at the church uh, in the fellowship hall. So we do look forward to uh, our church family coming back together, uh, at least on Wednesday nights. We're continuing to do our parking lot service every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We've been thoroughly enjoying that. Looking forward to this Sunday because it's Mother's Day. Looking forward to uh, honoring our mothers and taking a time to thank the Lord for them, whether they're with us or whether they're gone. Uh, Praise the Lord with Jesus Christ. And we just uh, ask that you just continue to pray for us as we continue to move forward with Him. But not only us, but all churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and just continue to love one another and think about one another and pray for one another and look forward to the time that when the pastor and the congregants can be in the church together again. So the Lord has given me a question that I want to ask you and myself here this evening and the question is simply this. Are you drowning in sin or standing on grace? Are you drowning in sin or standing on grace? That's part of the message tonight. Uh, We're going back to Psalm 103. Last Wednesday we started part one, which was Thanksgiving and worship. Uh, We read through Psalm chapter 103, verses 1 through 5, and tonight we're going to continue in this study. And we're going to start in verse 6 and go to verse 14. In verses 1 through 5, David practiced uh, his praise and his understanding of thanksgiving for God's unending love and mercy. And what a blessing that was for me uh, to study that out and bring it to you. Uh, But tonight, David gives examples of how this love is applied to our daily life in the different circumstances. And I know it'll be a blessing to you as it has been to me. As I've studied this, and we will bring it to you tonight uh, with truth, with faithfulness, with God's love and the direction of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, because Father, it's the day that we have. The Word of God is very clear in Proverbs 27.1 that we're not to boast ourselves of another day, because Lord, that day may not come. That we're to love you, we're to praise you, we're to give thanksgiving today for this day's blessings. For the honoring, Father, for the justification that we have in Jesus Christ. For the family that we have. For the health that we have. For the finances that we have. For the homes that we live in. For the vehicles that we drive. Father, for most of all, for the blessed assurance and hope that lives within us with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those that are lost without Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray today for their personal justification, that Lord, that you would lift from them their own faith in themselves or to a religious order or to a religious group or a religious faith that, Father, contradicts you and your love for us. Father, coming to a point of decision is something that we even ourselves cannot come to because left to ourselves we would only bring destruction so we thank you for loving us through the holy spirit of god that as he convicts us as he lives within us as he helps us lord come to that point of conviction but father i pray that you would help us uh, to live within the acknowledgments of grace and father lord help us to live past those mistakes that we make And Father, I pray that through that part of this study tonight, that you would help us to come to that deep understanding and to that wisdom and to that spiritual maturity by which we can only gain through you and through living this life by the abundant grace of God. We love you and we thank you. Take our hearts, use them, guide them. Father, help us to weep, help us to mourn, help us to be glad, and most of all, help us to give thanksgiving and worship. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. I'd ask you a question at the beginning of this that was simply, are you drowning in sin or standing on grace? I hope you've thought about that through the last few moments, but I want to give you a statement that coincides with this, and maybe it'll help you as we go through this study here tonight. Are you drowning in sin or standing in grace? It's difficult, 
Now listen to this. It's difficult to live under the penalties of sin that grace has forgiven. Now what I mean by that is that for us as Christians, once we are once we have been saved by God's grace, and the text will show this tonight, that once our sins are washed away to be remembered no more, that once we sin, and I, as I like to use uh, the term, and it is a definition of the word sin, that when we find ourselves to be disobedient, as Christians, because all things old are passed away, all things become new, that we no longer want to justify our sin, but we want to be justified from that sin. And simply that means is that when we live under the penalty that grace has paid for, then the burden becomes so heavy. The burden of that disobedience, the burden of that sin becomes so wearisome to our minds and in our hearts. We become so shackled by pain and suffering and we become so overburdened by uh, not that we don't know how to seek forgiveness, but there's such a penalty that disobedience brings into our life. And what it does is it presses us forward to instead of finding genuine repentance. And again, this is part of the message tonight. Instead of us seeking genuine repentance, instead of us getting on our face and begging God for His forgiveness for our disobedience, we live under the shelter of that disobedience and it brings about aggravation. It brings about agitation. It brings about a false sense of forgiveness. It brings about accusations of uh, an inacting love of God when God has done nothing but acted of love towards us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I know that there has been times that each of us have been there, that we have committed things. We have been disobedient to God. We have done certain acts. We have said certain things. There's things that I believe that people that are living under this guilt penalty that sin has that sin has, has continuously trying to hold us and shackle us to this, that grace has forgiven us. And realizing and understanding that this is something that is not only committed by uh, just Christians, but this is something that has also been committed uh, through disobedience by many pastors, that uh, pastors have treated certain people wrongly and, and they, they've acted out of aggression, or maybe it was a moment when they was just feeling bad. Now, this is all of us, and I'm, I'm just bringing up this point about pastors because there's no pastor that's going to hear this that needs to hear this, but we, we have said things or we felt like we were justified in things, that we lashed out at people, or maybe we went to them. Maybe we didn't lash out them, but maybe we went justified uh, in, through Bible doctrine that we felt like somebody you know, needed to be uh, uh, disciplined instead of just loved. Uh, maybe just because of human character and human attitude that we launched out at somebody and maybe we treated somebody bad. Maybe we drove somebody away from the church uh, because of personal feelings. That doesn't matter what the situation is, but we feel in our hearts that, and it's not that God can't forgive us, but typically it's because we have so much of the difficulty of living with that instead of just seeking God's absolute forgiveness through grace that we have already received, that we don't get on our face and we don't seek his counsel. We don't seek his forgiveness and his understanding. And in our minds, in our hearts, we, we, we do, we become so burdened uh, because we've made this mistake, we have said these things, we have committed these acts, whatever the case would be. But brothers and sisters, let me encourage you so I can get into this text tonight. Let me encourage you that His forgiveness, His grace is greater than your personal accountability to yourself. And you just need to get on your face before God and just plead your case and plead 
plead your cause and plead your need for forgiveness and ask the Lord to forgive you and to to lead you and to guide you to these people or persons, whoever it would be that you need to go to, whoever it is that even though it's been several years since since the offense was committed, the disobedience was implemented in this one particular situation that you seek them out and ask God's forgiveness and ask that person's forgiveness and that you just pour your heart out to them and just just not to justify the accountability of the action or the inaction of the moment, but that you just seek them through humility and through grace and just ask them. And it's not, let me say this and I'm going to move on. It's not about us. It is not about us going to them that we can feel better about ourselves But it's that it maintains and reignites that relationship, that right, righteous relationship between us and Jesus Christ, but also that that person, whoever it was, or persons, plural, that we hurt or offended, that they can get past those moments of what we have done and stop justifying their personal feelings and emotions by either not praying, not going to church, justifying whatever it is but that it would give them freedom from the penalty that they feel in their own hearts by being justified by what you did. So I hope that makes sense to you. I hope that's a blessing to you. But let's get into the text tonight. Let's look at Psalm chapter 103. Let's start in verse 6. The Lord executeth righteousness, David says. He says he executed. He brings about. It's not, this is, this is a guarantee, This is a guarantee of God's grace. This is a promise of God. This is a pledge of God. Not a pledge that we pledge to one another and the person receiving the pledge is hoping that that person brings about whatever it is that they're promising. This pledge and this promise is a promise of God through David saying that God will execute righteousness and justice for all that are oppressed. For all that are oppressed. Now, I love how David brings about this first one, this first uh, implementation of grace and understanding, how he brings this about for those that are oppressed. Now, this is the only definition I want to give to you tonight, but I wanted to bring this out because you need to understand at the end of verse six, what the word oppressed actually means. And it's very encouraging because it brings about many of life's situations. So let me give this to you. The word oppressed here in the Hebrew means pressed upon. You as an individual, you have been pressed upon. There has been somebody that has pressed upon you. There is somebody that is that is pushing on you. There is somebody that is trying to suppress you. They're trying to drive out the righteousness of God, not your salvation, but the purity of mind and of heart. There are people that are pressing upon you. That's how you're being oppressed. There's the, the second part of this means that you've been defrauded. What does this defrauded mean? It just simply means that that you have been uh, uh, pressed upon to such a point that you have been deprived of something that uh, of of a promise uh, that has been given to you that you've been defrauded of something. There's something in your life that maybe you felt defrauded of. And let me encourage you tonight that if man breaks a promise. I'm not saying it's right, but if a man breaks a promise, we understand because they're men and they break promises. Again, not that it's correct, not that it's right, but we are not to focus so much on the person that defrauded us, but we should be holding on to the promises that we have in Jesus Christ that has been given to us through our salvation. The third part of being oppressed is being violated. Now, the word violated means that a great trust has been broken. There's a great trust. It can be anything. It can be somebody that's made a simple uh, uh, commitment to you and they violated that. It could be somebody that's listening that uh, maybe a husband or a wife has has violated the trust that you have put into them uh, as as a woman you have put into your husband and as a husband you've put into your wife and maybe there has been a violation of trust that way which is bringing about a deep-seated guilt and bringing about a, a a great violation that you're struggling with right now and you're seeking to to ask God and wanting God's direction of to make you 
not feel better, but to process it and to understand this great violation and this great trust uh, and distrust that has been brought into relationship. Uh, the, the other part is, is that there's in, in the Hebrew, it means to drink up, uh, which simply means that there are people that are in your life that, that they are oppressing you. They're draining you emotionally and physically. They're just they're they're wearing you out. And this could be a family member. It could be a coworker. It can be anybody in your life. And that this there's somebody in your life that is just draining you and simply the the last part of this understanding of of oppressed simply means that you've just simply been done wrong and that summarizes all of this all of these things pressed upon defrauded violated to be uh drink up to be drained you've just simply been wrong and you've been wrong but let me encourage you as i move forward with this that that if somebody has done you wrong, I understand pain. I understand it. We all do. Everybody saved and lost. We all understand that that we we felt moments of being oppressed in our life and our heart. But let me encourage you that you need to think right now and to think at this very moment of all the things that you did that caused Jesus Christ to go to the cross for you. And I don't say that to try to, to, to try to bring back the memories of what you know that Jesus saved you from, the sins uh, that you committed. That's not what this is about. This is about you putting your life and you putting uh, the impressions of other people's opinions and actions in your life, how you can take them and put them in a proper perspective to where they no longer become a weight. They no longer become a burden. They no longer begin to oppress you or suppress you in a spiritual way that you don't feel comfortable, that you don't want to be there, and you know you shouldn't be there. So just stop thinking about what they did to you and think about what you did to Christ, and those thoughts will bring everything together. Now turn with me to Psalm chapter 147. This this is such a blessing. I love uh, this Psalm. Psalm 103 is great. Psalm 147 is just a little takes a little bit of a twist uh, from, from where we're at at the moment. Uh, you know, there are some times that when we look in, into our life and, and when we're being oppressed, when we're being going through sufferings and trials and, and temptations and just letdowns and the, the different uh, human emotions that we struggle with some days or, or, you know, it may seem like, you know, everything's going good for a period of time and then like everything begins to go wrong. And there are times when we think too much about our current circumstances and not about the love of God and the grace that lives within our hearts is that we find it difficult to find something to worship and praise about our life. Now, I believe y'all understand it and I'll digress from it. But when, when, when worship fails, just listen to this comment. When worship fails, then we are to worship God through his creation. Let's look at Psalm 147 and see what the psalmist says. I want to look at verse one, then I want to jump down to verse seven. So in verse 1, it says, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is appropriate. Comely, it's appropriate. Let's look at verse 7. So how does the psalmist say to praise? Here he brings it about. In verse 7, he says, Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Don't repeat a song that brings praise to God. You bring praise to God through the song. Does that make sense to you? Don't let the songwriter or the, the singer, his or herself, do the praising for you. You do the praising because of the song that brings praise and glory to God. He says, sing praise unto the heart unto our God. If you can't play an instrument, that's okay. I'll give you the, the current today, the 2020 understanding of this is turn on a gospel station and find a good gospel song that you know that it, the words exalt Jesus Christ and you sing it and you sing it in a way that glorifies God in your heart. Verse 8, he says, who covereth the heaven with clouds? This is the part about praising God. If, you, if worship fails, find a reason, find a way to worship God and do so through his creation because you can't dismiss the creation you see creation everywhere whoso covereth the heavens with clouds who prepareth rain for the earth who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains do you see how the psalmist here says that that when when you see the clouds uh, uh above us and and it covers the heavens when uh we uh who prepareth rain for the earth when it rains we're to give god glory for that who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains, the beauty of the mountains and the beauty of the green grass. He giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry 
He takes care of all of his creation. Verse 10, he says, He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of man. But here he comes and justifies here in verse 11. He says, the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him. The word fear means respect. It gives him reverence. That gives him respect in their life and in their heart. They bring not accusations against him, but they bring praise unto him, glorifying him for all things. It doesn't matter what it is that you find. And he at the end of verse 11 says, in those that hope, in those that hope or have hope in his mercy what does that mean god's going to get you through the situation god's going to get you from it this is the second of three stanzas in psalm that the psalmist writes here in psalm 147 and this again just brings about the understanding that when worship fails Find a reason to worship. And that reason is nothing more than looking outside and seeing the beauty of the, of the day. Seeing the beauty of the leaves coming out. See the beauty in the bird that flies by. Praising God for the rain. Praising God for the, for the dust. Praising God for the clouds. Praising God for everything. For those of you that struggle with cloudy days and you think, wow, you know, cloudy days are dreary days and they, they cause me to be, uh, you know, a little under the weather, meaning, uh, suppressed of mind and heart and of spirit. And, and so stop looking at the clouds and thinking, well, just because I can't see the sun, the S-U-N, doesn't mean that I can't praise the S-O-N sun and glory glorifying him and thanking him because listen if you didn't have cloudy days you would never appreciate the fullness of the sunny days and if you had too many sunny days you would grow to depreciate the sunny days because there were no cloudy days so when the good things come praise God for them when the bad things come praise God through them and you find a reason to praise and worship him now back to Psalm 103 verse 7 he made known his ways unto Moses his acts unto the children of Israel. He revealed his ways to Moses. This is God's direct influence at this time. Now remember, God spoke to Moses and Moses spoke to the people. And he not only revealed his ways to Moses, but his deeds he also proved to the people of Israel, which was God's provision to the people. Now, we understand the story of Exodus and we're not even going there tonight. But what what the what David is saying here is is that as God leads the man of God of the people of God and he will prove to the people of God that what the man of God is doing is correct and he will do this through his provisions. Now what does this mean today under grace? Now this is obviously under the law. What happens under grace? Under grace because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the third part of the Trinity that dwell indwells within us, He provides both direction and both revelation of His blessings of provision to the Christian themselves. Now this should bring great understanding to, to your heart today because it's not that God has to speak to another man to be able to lead you, but yet you see the provisions that God has given. All of these things are given to you in the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. He will lead your life. He will give you direction, which is spiritual maturity and understanding of growth and moving forward. But he will also prove to you that he's going to take care of you. He's going to give you the food that you need to eat. He's going to give you the clothes that you need to wear on your back. He's going to take care of all of these things. And isn't it great under grace that the, these provisions of spiritual maturity and, and physical uh, 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 transparency of giving in Jesus Christ is known to the individual? And let me just say this, this is what happens in a lot of churches, and we use the term cult churches, that they, they teach you that you have to have the leader of that building, the leader of that doctrine to help you, to tell you what's going on. That is not grace. That is the foundation of law. That is not the foundation of grace, because in grace, all things indwell in you. Let's look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Well, you, do you believe that today? I'm being serious. Don't just say amen. Just don't agree with me. But do you truly believe that? The Lord is merciful and gracious. He has looked 
not past your sins, but He's looked upon your sins with present, past, future understanding of how you're going to get through this because that's the omniscience of God. He doesn't just respond to what it is that you're doing at this moment or what you're not doing at this moment. God looks into the future of how you're going to respond to this moment. That's why He is loving. That's why He is merciful. That's why He is so gracious. And listen to this. I love this in verse 8, but He is slow to anger aren't you glad that God is not us aren't you glad that even on your greatest most patient day that God is still greater than you because today you may be gracious today you may be merciful today you may be slow to anger but what about tomorrow what about next week what about when you wake up and you're physically not feeling well? And we all know that when we're physically not feeling well, it, 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 it brings about an impression upon us emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Aren't you glad that God never changes? Aren't you glad that God doesn't get sick and His interpretation or His impressions or His wills or His ways or His, His judgment or His punishment or His anger is not kindled upon his circumstances, because even though we may change, He does not. Aren't you glad that God is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever? Aren't you glad that He doesn't change? Aren't you glad that He is slow to anger? And aren't you glad that He is plenteous in mercy? Aren't you glad that He is rich in faithful love? Aren't you glad that God just pours out into you? Aren't you glad that God just continues to give to you? Aren't you glad that God just continues to love you and to just give the passions of Christ and of God and that He never turns His back on you? Let's look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Exodus chapter 34 and verses 6 and 7. Now Moses had originally had the Ten Commandments. And when he came down from Mount Sinai, he threw the tablets down and broke them. Now he's come back in the presence of God. God has told him to cut out two uh, tables of stone to bring back to him. And he would rewrite upon them uh, uh, the Ten Commandments by which he had been given uh, to Moses to give to God's people, Israel. But let's just look at verses 6 and 7. And the Lord passed by before him being Moses and proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. Verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. You're not going to get away with it. We think that we can just live our life and just do what we want to do. And we can just continuously go past and, and go past God's boundaries of grace and love and mercy. And we can want to believe in things other than what God has provided. We can trust in something that is greater than, than what we believe that is greater than us. And it's, it's like a, a, an understanding that when you're starving, that somebody puts something in front of you and, and, and you know that it's good for you and when you're really starving and you're really your body is is depleted of food and nutrition and you are wanting something that is that's full of protein and you want something that has a lot of carbohydrates in it and and you just think that this is what I need but God puts chicken and broccoli in front of you now you understand what I mean by this but it but there's a very clarity of understanding with that in that metaphor of understanding because we what we think is what we need God knows what we truly need because God created the flesh and he saved the soul and God will give all things. God will bring the righteous unto himself. God will bring the truth unto himself. God will bring the majesty and the jewels of grace unto himself. But yet you can deny the love of God and the passions of Christ and you can die, deny the deity. You can deny the power and the authority of all things God and yet still justify the matters of flesh within yourself and still be unjustified before God, before man, and most of all, before yourself. Let's look at verse 9 and 10, because they work together. He will not always chide. What does chide mean? He's not always going to grapple. 
with Christians. That's what chide means. He will not always chide. Neither will he keep his anger forever. I don't know about you, but praise God. Verse 10, he hath not dealt with us after or according to our sins. You better say amen to that one. That he didn't just come out and just give us what it was through our disobedience of what we of, of what he could have given to us. But praise be glory to God. He has not dealt with us after or according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. What are these things that we should never, now listen to me, we should never want to be a burden to God. We should never be a burden or want to be a burden to Jesus Christ. The closer our relationship comes to Him, the greater our inabilities to create an offense, to create a, a, a sin, to bring about a disobedient heart, a disobedient mind, that when we walk close with Jesus Christ, that the desire to hurt Him is not there. The ability to hurt him is not there because it's not something we're thinking about. It's not something we're worrying about. Remember when I said earlier that when worship fails, you find a reason to praise and worship God. If nothing else, do it through creation. And if nothing else, go back into a time where you know that God is taking care of you. God has given you provision of grace. God has given you provision of understanding. God has given you the abilities to worship him through something that you know that God either could have brought about a great condemnation into your life but yet he saw how you would respond and in the future he didn't want to do that because he knew that's not what you needed there are sometimes that's needed in some christians lives just simply because we're hard-headed and we're not willing to concede to the to the complete authority of god in our life but as we get, I have a couple of cross-references that I want to give you in relation to verses 9 and 10. But let me give this statement to you. It's a statement the Lord gave to me this afternoon. The suffering, this goes with what I said earlier. The suffering of unconfessed sin brings about a guilt so deep, so deep. Unconfessed sin brings about a guilt that is so deep that there are times that we will convince ourselves that God will not forgive us of whatever it is. It's not that He won't forgive. It's that we don't forgive ourselves. But we justify a lack of genuine repentance to Christ because we justify the depths of the hurt that we have brought into our life, into somebody else's life, or into the heart of God that we just think that He won't forgive us. And we know that's a lie. If you're saved, you know that's a lie. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we have ever done. So this is a game that, that, that Satan plays in our minds and our heart. This is, a, this is a ditch that we get into and we're not willing to drive out of. But the end of this statement is simply this, is that the problem is not God's unwillingness to forgive, but it is our unwillingness to ask for forgiveness through genuine repentance. Genuine repentance. This is why so many people that call themselves Christians are not saved because there was never a moment of genuine repentance. There was never a moment that they acknowledged God and Christ for who they were and for what they did and knowing and understanding that it's only through the provisions of God's grace through Jesus Christ and the sin debt penalty that was paid on the cross that we ourselves never found a time for those that truly have felt bad but never felt guilty. There's a difference in feeling bad about something then there's a difference in feeling guilty about something. And when we don't feel guilty over our sin or our disobedience, then genuine repentance cannot be received. So those that call themselves Christians but never found a moment of genuine repentance, you're still lost because there was never an acknowledgement of the sin debt that Christ paid for you. And for us in Jesus Christ, when we don't find that time, to find genuine repentance through a bended knee and a submissive heart, you're never going to get past the penalty of that moment. And it's you know that it's not that Christ will not forgive you. It's that you are suffering in the debt penalty that grace has forgiven. God does not punish us as we deserve as we have read in verses 9 and 10, or else we would be consigned or placed into the lowest parts of hell. 
But first John 1 9, we, we know or, or we know that through confession that we find that knowledge of forgiveness. And first John 5 13, that we know that eternal life lies within our heart. We know that that Christ reigns. We know that Christ is going to receive us on that glorious day. But he does not given us what we deserve, which is hell. And God is not implacable or relentless. He is not, again, driven by emotion. God is a God that will receive repentance and atonement. Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57, verses 14 to 19. Isaiah chapter 57, verses 14 to 19. As we see re- leading up in, in verses 1 to 13, we see a people uh, that are no better than the leaders uh, and are rebuked for being insensitive to, the, to, to righteousness. They're not sensitive to God. They're not appreciating God. They're not thanking God. They're not worshiping God. They're not giving God thanksgiving in wor- and worship. They're not giving God worship with thanksgiving. They're not doing anything. There is a high level of idolatry in the nation of Israel at this time. And it was so egregious that they found themselves giving infant sacrifices, which is found uh, here in, in uh, the earlier text down in verse 5. And that... They even themselves, that there was such a a, a deep lack of trust for God. But let's see how God responds to this. And in verse 14, and he shall say, cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus uh, saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. This is God that is willing to forgive those people as Israel. He is willing to forgive those that have perverted and have not conceded to the absolute understanding and love and acknowledgement of his relationship with them for those that had gotten so uh, idolatrous in their own personal faith system, belief system, that they themselves were sacrificing young children. And even in spite of what they have done, God will forgive them. Is that not an absolute outpouring of God's love for every mother that has an abortion, for every mother that is given that child sacrifice, that they have sacrificed the life of the child because they didn't want to be burdened by by the child coming into their life. They didn't love the daddy or they was uh, uh, they was raped and 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 uh, had gotten pregnant and all of the different circumstances that we justify even God himself in the moments of, of spiritual idolatry. And for those listening, if you have had an abortion and that guilt is so deep inside of you and you find it difficult to breathe, you find it difficult to live because you know what you did. Let God forgive you. Find genuine repentance and pour your heart out to him because Christ is the only one that can save you from the guilt that you have imparted into your own life. And Jesus himself is the only person. He is the only Christ. He is the only living God. He is the only person that has paid that sin debt penalty. He paid for that sin. He paid for that moment. He paid for that time when you made that decision to destroy a life that God had given to you to use for His glory. Only Jesus is the one that can forgive you. Verse uh, 16, For I will not contend forever neither will I be always angry for the spirit shall fail before me and the souls which I have made for the iniquity of his covetousness was I angry and smote him I hid me and was angry and he went on forwardly in the way of his heart this is just talking about the person the the Christian the ones that are just walking in iniquity the ones that are just spitting in the face of God, the ones that are denying grace and living under the precept of, of personal accountability of responsibility through justification of sin and of flesh. This is the person that has found such a deep place in their mind and their heart. But here God has said through the prophet Isaiah, I will forgive them. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is far off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, I will heal him. 
How many of you that are listening to this that you're not going to church, you're not worshiping, you're not giving thanksgiving, you're not serving Christ, you're not doing anything, and you just so happen to come across this particular message today, and, and, and it's a message for you. It's a message that you need to get into the church that Jesus Christ wants you in. You need to rededicate your life to Him. You need to recommit your life resources to Him, meaning your heart and your mind and your flesh and your energy and that you can give back to Him a way of not trying to accountable uh, or through the accountability of the flesh and the salvation of the soul, but you want to give back to Christ. You want to be a blessing to Him. And you need to find Him. You need to honor Him. You want to do it, but you can't find the reason. You can't find the way. Jesus has just given it to you. And find the way, because now you have the reason. And in finding the reason, let God guide you in the right way. But in verses 20 and 21, he simply says this, but the wicked are like the troubled sea, which it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. It is always churning. It is always mixing up. It's always making the water dirty because it's, it's even going down to the utter depths of the ocean and it's churning up the mire and the dirt and it's causing everything that was once clear to be cloudy. That, that the wicked are just like that troubled sea. And in verse 21, there is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. There is never peace in their minds and their hearts. There is never peace in the justification of the flesh, the mind, and the spirit. They can never find true righteousness in the unrighteous ways that they want to follow and they want to believe. And this is why so many people are so egregious in their hearts and are burdened in their spirit that they find so much pain and, and malcontent and discontent with inside of themselves. That's why people are so angry because they have understood the truth of grace through Jesus Christ and have denied it. They're continuously walking forward in some doctrine faith belief that, that they was raised in or that somebody asked them to go to or maybe they, they was given a gift from that church or, or from that building and from that religion and they feel that they're indebted to them for something that they give him. Let me encourage you. That's why they give it to you. So you would feel indebted to them. Here, Jesus Christ is proven and God has simply proven with the understandings that when we find grace in the favor of Almighty God, it's not paying God back. It's having a heart full of grace and love and commitment to Him. And you're pouring your heart out in worship. You're pouring your heart out in praise. You're pouring your heart out in thanksgiving. And most of all, listen to me as we move on. You're pouring your heart out in service. In verse 11, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. Here are three comparisons from verses 11 to 13, and we'll conclude in 14. In verses 11 to 13, there are three comparisons of relating God's love to man. And these are the three. Verse 11, his grace and mercy is greater than our sin. In verse 12, his mercy love is unending and removes all guilt that led us to a genuine repentance. And the third one found in verse 13 is, is God's love is understood in the family and a likeness of his mercy can be seen in us. So back to verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. Let's quickly look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I want to read a few verses here to you tonight. Not going to take a lot of time with this, but I did want to give this reference to you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verses 13, going to verse 19. So the Apostle Paul writes here, he says, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at his tribulations for you, which is your glory. I'm doing this for you. That sound kind of familiar. Is that not what Jesus did for us? He gave to us so that we could use him as the power and the example of our life to be a blessing to others. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He bows his knees. Here is the thanksgiving and worship and the giving of himself. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He That he would grant you, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. His glory. The riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. This is not about what you think that you know about the Word of God. It's not what 
you think of discerning the Word of God, even as pastors, you may quote it, you may be able to recite it, you may be able to give an opinion of it, but do you understand what it's actually saying? And this is what the Apostle Paul is telling the church. He says, listen, I need you to understand it. You need to be strengthened by the power and the might of the Spirit that lives within you. Stop living and dealing with and trying to prove yourself unto others through your own accountability, through your own wisdom, through your own understanding of discernment. Start trusting in the Lord that comes by of the inner man of the indwelling of the Spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. This is a growing understanding of, of God's grace that is greater than our sins. This is a growing understanding about what Christ has done for us that you may be rooted and grounded in love. Love is the greatest of examples of an indwelling and this great love is not a conditional love of when you feel like giving it or when you feel like receiving it, but it is a continual giving of love because you're grounded and rooted in the love of God because the love of God lives within you. He said grounded and rooted. He didn't say that just the seed of the knowledge of it was and the strength of it is on top of the ground because you know you have to plant a seed in the ground for the ground to, to be able to enrich and to nourish the seed. And then as the seed grows, that it begins to combine itself with the ground around it, which gains not only a source of strength, but the ability of strength. Verse 18, and that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and the height of it, and to know, and to know altogether, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that he might be filled with all the fullness of God. There is a knowledge that reaches past what we think. There is an understanding that is deeper than, than the deepest of digging of our minds and our hearts. We think, well, there are some of us and some Christians that we think we know so much about the Bible, but yet knowledge has produced ignorance of a knowledge and a lack of knowledge in God. You don't find knowledge in God because you think you understand God or you think you understand the depths of His Word. And what you do know and understand about His Word was not something that you conjured up on your own. It wasn't something that you learned from a professor in a college somewhere. It is something that the Spirit of God has revealed in you, so you better be giving God all the praise and you better be giving Jesus all the glory for all of the knowledge that you have because what you do have, and whether it's limited knowledge or excessive knowledge, however you think that uh, uh, understanding or intellectual that you are about God's Word, whatever you do have, you got it from them. So give them the honor and the glory that you, that the power of Christ, that the knowledge of his word might be filled with all of the fullness and the greatness of almighty God, of who he is, about what he has done. Let's look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he hath removed our transgressions from us. His mercy love is unending. This is the second comparison that I spoke to you about a moment ago that David uses in relating to God's love to mankind is that his mercy, uh, his mercy love is unending and removes all guilt that led us to a genuine repentance. Now, I've got another verse in Isaiah I want to just quote to you here in just a moment. Uh, but for the sake of time, I'm going to go through this kind of quick. Here tonight, you understand this. There was a there was a sin penalty. There was a sin debt. There was a sin burden that took you to a place of genuine repentance. If you did genuinely repent when you were saved, there was a guilt that led you up to the point of genuine repentance before Christ by asking Him to forgive you of all of your sins, by receiving Him into your heart and your life to be your personal Lord and Savior, there was a guilt and a debt that led you up to that point of genuine repentance. But when Jesus saved you, He forgave you, so as He has forgiven us of all of those sins and remembers them no more, because that's exactly what the text has said here, that as much as He remembers them no more, then we should not, shall not, cannot 
will not fall under the penalties of the burdens of the same guilt that led us unto repentance unto salvation. That is not the same guilt that leads us unto genuine repentance once we're saved. There's a teetotal difference in those two. One led you to salvation. One led you to a knowledge of understanding. And the other one is the one, after we are saved, this, this guilt of, of sin, this guilt of disobedience is not something that we find ourselves being chastised under. It is something that we don't find ourselves being bound by. It is something that leads us to a repentant state of the repercussion of the moment when you accepted Jesus Christ, simply meaning that it brings you back to the point of that first second after you was truly born again in Jesus Christ and the peace that that salvation brought into your mind and your heart at that time, that is what that repentance reminds you of. It's not the repentance unto that salvation. It's the repentance because of that salvation. Now, I hope that makes sense to you. I don't know how to explain that any, any better to lead us to understanding that one is guilt and one is guiltless, maybe not guiltless of the sin, not guiltless of the disobedience, but it doesn't bring about a guilt that brings us to a place where we find no pleasure in repentance. Let's look at verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. The word pitieth just simply means that he has a, a loving compassion and a loving mercy. This is what He has given to us. God's love is understood in the family and the likeness of His uh, mercy can be seen in us. How many times have your children been disobedient to you? How many times have your grandchildren been disobedient to you? How many times have you uh, wanted to just, you know, uh, pardon the term, but just you wanted to, to drop the hammer. You wanted to bring uh, uh, justification of punishment into their life, but yet you looked into their face. You looked into their heart. You give them the benefit of the doubt, even in the limited knowledge that we have as human beings, because we are not an omniscient as God. But we looked into their hearts and into the countenance of their face and looking into the depths of their sorrow. And even we ourselves, that even though we are, again, limited in knowledge of man's hearts and minds and the abilities to change and the abilities that they will change and abilities that an alteration will take place, but even we extend that. And what greater love of extension has God given to us what greater love extension has He given to us with the great understanding of, of forgiveness of sins far as the east from the west that we have read here uh, tonight in the text? Uh, I want to read this couple verses to you in the book of Malachi chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. And this is talking about uh, ungodly people and the condemned that then they, in verse 16, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another and the Lord hearkened and heard it and the book of remembrance meaning uh, and was written before him, which means that it was a constant reminder, not that he had to write it in a book, but it was a constant reminder of things before God of the loving kindness of the heart, realizing that at this time that as most as, as a lot of, of the Jews had turned their back on God, had not worship God had not served God had not given appropriately to God all of these things but in spite of the ones that didn't he did not bring judgment upon those that did and this is where Malachi brings about these two verses that for them that feared the Lord and that those that sought out his name and they shall be mine saith the Lord of hosts in that day when I make up my jewels you're a jewel in the eye of Jesus Christ I ought to give you a shout and a glory tonight and I will spare them as a man spareth his son uh, that serveth him, which is just what we had spoken about in the foregoing verse. I want to conclude in verse 14 tonight as time's running out. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. We are understood by God. Listen quickly. We are understood by God because he knows the frailty of our flesh and our spirit. God never justifies. And God has never justified. We are not justified. We are understood. 
Simply the understanding of that is tonight. God justifies no sin. But as God is long-suffering and as God is impatient, is patient with us, as God has given to us, as God has poured out unto us, since the moment that we have been saved, we have lived in that knowledge of salvation. We have lived in that knowledge of peace. We have lived in that knowledge of hope. We have lived in that knowledge of understanding. We have, we have cherished Him. We have praised Him. We have looked at the grass on the mountains. We have seen the clouds in the sky. We have seen how God has fed all that He has created and all of these things that we bring honor and glory to Him. But the greatest of these gifts is the salvation that He has given to you. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. We need to follow the same knowledge, the same peace, the same love and long-suffering of God when it comes down to other people. And in the times that we live today, in the sufferings of our heart, the frailty of our flesh, the aggravation of our minds, that we need to remember that God looked past who we were. John 3.17, as I posted on the website this week. That He looked past who we were. And He saw what we would be. And because He knew what we would be, He became the Son of Man. That He could live. He could example. He could endure. He could receive. He could have been by his flesh incarcerated in a grave. But yet three days later, he rose. Show kindness and mercy. Show patience and long suffering. And if you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, I pray that you do so right now. Not because of guilt, but because of desire. If you need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, because through this message you have understood what He has done for you, what He has given for you, what He has poured out for you, what He wants you to understand, and what He most of all wants you to receive, that you just call out to Jesus right now, and you ask Him to forgive you for all of your sins. They've already been counted on the cross. Don't worry about counting them out today. Jesus has seen each and every one of them. Jesus has paid that penalty for you. All you need to do is ask for the forgiveness to ask unto Him and only Him for no other way and no other understanding than but by Him. As Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. That you would ask Him to also come into your heart and life to be your Lord and Savior. I deny myself. And I call upon Thee alone to be my Lord and Savior. Whatever you need to do, do so right now. And let us know if you've made a decision. Let us be a blessing to you. doesn't matter where you live. doesn't matter what church you go to. We want to be a blessing to you. We want to be an encouragement to you. We want to lift you up. We want to help you through this time. And we just want to be a blessing as we can bless through the love of God. Father, we thank You again for this time that we've had gathered together, Father, in this place. Father, I may be standing in the sanctuary and be by myself. But Father, we understand and know that your spirit is always with us because you live in us. For those that are listening on whatever day it is, at whatever moment, whatever has provoked them to listen to this message tonight, I pray that it not be a message that was just heard and not understood. But I pray through understanding that there is a commitment that is to be made whether it's salvation by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone, or whether it's a recommitment of their life to you, whatever it is, Father, we commit that to you today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And Lord Jesus, we can't wait to see you. Oh, what a glorious day that will be when Christ Jesus we shall see. But there's a lot of work to be done between now and then. We pray for guidance. We pray for wisdom. We pray for accountability of understanding. And we pray for clear direction. Help ministries to grow for you. Not that we make bigger buildings to house more people, but because we are giving grace and mercy through Jesus Christ that the building must grow because of the grace that's living in people's lives and hearts. So we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. 
As I close, don't forget, Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday is Mother's Day, the, the 10th, so please be here. We have some more announcements that we're going to be giving to you on that uh, day uh, as we hold the service, and a lot of other great things are going on, so just continue to pray for our country, uh, pray for our country's leadership, uh, pray for all of those that are sick and afflicted, does not matter what uh, the illness may be. Uh, tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer. We ask that you take a few minutes to pray. Uh, Pray tomorrow that we do again, pray for our nation, all the leadership, pray for the churches and pray for everyone, including yourself. So we love you in the Lord and we thank you for the time we've had together on these Wednesday nights and we look forward to seeing you here at church. Uh, until then, God bless you.